My name is uh, Todd, I am the lead pastor here at Exchange and it's a real privilege to be able to come and to open up God's Word uh, week after week and to uh, see the Gospel shine in our hearts and our lives and uh, today we're going to do that again as we uh, gather around the Bible and allow His Holy Spirit to um, work through our hearts and work through our lives. We've been in the second book of Corinthians the last few weeks, probably the last couple of months actually, more than the last few weeks. And uh, today we're going to move into the next couple of chapters as we think about uh, the goodness of God in our hearts and our lives, particularly when it comes to uh, the blessings He pours in us, to us uh, in the way of uh, money and finances. Uh, it's funny though, with money, it's amazing how, what our hearts will do to get money at times. Um, I can remember when I was about nine or ten, just going back a year or two ago, uh, off to Sunday school and mum had given me 20 cents to put in the offering at the Sunday School offering as it went past. And uh, just up the road, though, from the church was this milk bar or corner store. So it was always a favourite pastime to sort of after church finish, race down to the milk bar or the corner store and get 10 cents worth of mixed lollies, a bag of mixed lollies. 10 cents could go a long way back then. Anyway, Mum gave me 20 cents and I thought, I'll hatch this little plan. I'll put 20 cents into the offering and I'll pull 10 cents back out to give me something to go down to the shop later on to buy my mixed bag of lollies for 10 cents. Anyway, the offering plate come around and I put my 20 in. It took me four or five goes till I could find a 10 cent coin to come out. I kept pulling the wrong one out, but I wasn't embarrassed because I wanted that 10 cent coin. So it's just amazing what our hearts will do sometimes when it comes to money. I did, did get the 10 cents out and I did go down and did, did get the bag of mixed lollies as well. But... We're going to look at that today as we think about uh, generosity. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, which is the Word of God, please go to the second book of Corinthians. That'll be in the New Testament. If you've got a paper version, you'll uh, find that in the back half of the Bible. If you've got an electronic version, you can probably type in there somewhere, Second Corinthians, and uh, you'll come up with it. And you'll go to chapter 8. Chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 1, just read the first uh, 15 verses. Uh, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in all our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness of is, is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, 
not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Amen. Father, we thank you today that we can come and gather around your word. And we ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would come and speak through your word, uh, granting us wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And I pray, God, that you would touch our hearts uh, when it comes to the idea of money and finances and generosity, Lord. Such a challenging, challenging thing for us. So I pray today, Lord, work in our hearts. Touch every single person here today as we sit and think and talk and hear your word spoken to us. Lord, we ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep going with this mic. Good? Everybody's good. Okay. Okay, so we pick up on a topic today that can make some people uh, quite nervous. Uh, When we talk about money and generous giving, some people can either listen really, really well, or some may close off immediately and just sort of just shut down and don't really want to uh, zone in on it. Uh, The same topic of money also and generous giving uh, can be a real measure of people's gospel understanding and what depth of love they have for Christ as well when it comes to thinking about money. Uh, Such is the way our hearts gravitate to money to put our trust and security and comfort in it. Let me say though from the outset today is uh, is this, that money isn't our problem. It isn't our problem. Whether I've got $1 in the bank or $1 million in the bank isn't the problem today. Money is not the problem. When it comes to money, it's just a tool or instrument that reveals the problems within my own heart. So money can be a thing that my heart clings to but will never sustain me. Let's set the scene up here, though, for where Paul is. He's been talking to the Corinthians over the last few chapters, for us the last few weeks, about holiness, separation, and repentance, and then all that's good, deep stuff that springs from the gospel. And now he moves to chapters 8 and 9, which becomes a very good indicator of how deep the gospel is really going with the Corinthians here as they think about life. He brings up now generosity with money. And the backstory here is this. Uh, Corinth started to organise a collection for the church in Jerusalem who were in trouble. You might have picked that up as we're going through there. And um, the Macedonian believers heard what Corinth was doing. This is another church, another area. And they got excited about it and they wanted to join in with the raising of money for these Jerusalem saints. Now fast forward one year later and Corinth have actually stalled in their collection. They were collecting 12 months earlier, but all of a sudden they've stopped and Paul's actually writing to them again to uh, get on, on, uh, back on the ball and uh, get going again. But in the meantime, the Macedonian churches of Philippi and Thessalonica have kept going and they've completed a very generous gift here to send off to the Jerusalem believers. So here's the issue that Paul's dealing with uh, in Corinth in this particular day. It's the generous giving of money. It's how does the gospel impact and transform our generosity with money? Is where Paul's actually talking to the, uh, the Corinthians in these couple of chapters. Firstly, though, as we think about that, we want to see how does money affect us or how does money sort of work in the world where we live? To answer this question, I think we must ask ourselves, what are, the, what are some of the strong driving factors 
that resonate within us as we live in this world? What looms large in our life when we consider life? And I think a couple of things there that loom large with us when we consider life is safety and comfort in this Western context, Western world where we live. There's a strong desire for us to want to be safe and a strong desire for us to want to live comfortable in our lives. And don't get me wrong here, that's a good thing. It's a really good thing to want to be safe and it's a good thing to want to be comfortable. No one, was the, no one wants to live in a state of fear or discomfort. That's totally okay. But being safe and comfortable also has an impact on the way we spend our money in this world. We'll use our money to live safe and comfortable lives. Again, it's totally all right. When summer brings along to us 40-plus degree days in summer, it's really good to go buy air conditioner so you can be comfortable. It's totally okay, and that's really, really good. But the problem is sometimes we can actually elevate things like safety and comfort to sort of really high-priority things in our lives. And when that happens, that begins to dictate to us what we do with our money. I don't feel comfortable unless I've got an air conditioner in every room of the house, not just one, but now I'm so elevated comfort, I want an air conditioner in every possible room, so I just don't want to feel the heat whatsoever. Or I don't feel comfortable or safe unless I can get into a new car every few years because the old car had six airbags and the new model's got eight airbags. I want to feel a whole lot safer. If we begin to elevate safety and comfort, all of a sudden you will find we'll actually be dictating the way we want to spend our money. Or... I don't feel comfortable unless I can have the latest tech gadgets surrounding me to make my life easier. I just want to do everything remotely or just just at the touch of a button or whatever it might be. So then what do we do? We go and probably go surround ourselves with the latest tech gadgets to make my life easier. Now hear me out and don't get me wrong. Air conditioning and cars and tech gadgets, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. But when the desire for those things becomes out of balance so that I'm trusting in those things to provide me with safety and comfort. It's an out of balance desire. And I'm prioritising my money towards those things for safety and comfort. Then there's a problem developing. Then there's a problem developing. This unbalanced lifestyle that puts my safety and comfort as number one in my life above everything else will control what I do with my finances. It'll control what I do with my money. I'll never be safe enough to some extent in this world and I'll never be comfortable enough in this world. There'll always be something else that'll come along that says you need me to make you more comfortable. You need me in your life to make you more safe. This world will always keep saying that to us and we'll always be looking for something else. Sometimes other people feel, don't feel comfortable unless they're actually spending money to go shopping each week. Could be online, whatever. Shopping and they just they want the buzz of buying this new thing, and that makes them feel comfortable as well. And they're forever continuing to do that. So then we can be driven, as it were, to accumulate more and more money to spend it on ourselves to live a safe and comfortable lifestyle in this present world the way it operates. So the problem becomes then, we become very inward-focused about our lives. With our money particularly, it all becomes potentially about safety and comfort. So the question then is this. How does the gospel transform the way we prioritise life? How does the gospel transform the way we prioritise life? 
Because this, in turn, will affect the way we use our money. So Paul here in chapter 8 takes us to the Macedonians to give us a snapshot of how the gospel has transformed them and their lives and the way they view money. Let's set the context here for these guys as we think about them that Paul's giving to us. And what do we see about them in these verses? If we look in verse 2, we actually get a picture here of the, of the uh, context of the Macedonians. It says there in verse 2, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. What do we see about these guys? It says there, these guys are in a severe test of affliction. This is the backdrop for Macedonia. Their gospel faith is under fire. They are being enormously harassed and persecuted painfully for following Jesus. It says they're a severe test of affliction. I would say those guys aren't very safe. What else do we learn about them? It says also there that they're existing in extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. They're not just doing it a little bit hard in Macedonia. This is dirt poor poverty. Extreme poverty. Possibly the slums of Calcutta type stuff. It's extreme poverty. They are in maximum... It doesn't get any worse than this. I would say for those guys, life is very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable for those in Macedonia. Life doesn't get much more depressing or despairing or challenging than that, does it? When you're under extreme persecution, harshly tormented, and severe poverty and existing in that particular um, context. That's the backdrop here for the churches in Macedonia. In steps, though, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel changes everything, radically. Not just a little bit, radically. In the middle of these deep trials, they hear that Corinth, step back 12 months ago, Corinth is taking up a collection of money to help out the needs of the believers who are struggling in Jerusalem. So how do the Macedonian churches respond when they hear about this? And what I see in these next few verses as I see the response of the Macedonian churches is two things. It's massively encouraging for me, but it's tremendously convicting at the same time. Massively encouraging, but tremendously convicting at the same time. The Macedonians are going to organise here a collection of money to send to Jerusalem. And there's three things that I can see about these guys as they're organised in this collection. The first one is this. The Macedonians are joyful in their giving. They are joyful in their giving. Look in verse 2 there, it says, an abundance of joy. An abundance of joy. The Holy Spirit has filled them with joy in the person of Jesus Christ. And as they go deeper and deeper in the gospel, their joy just keeps growing in who Christ is and what he's done for them. Now that's astounding when you think about their circumstances. What could they possibly be joyful about in extreme poverty and severe affliction? What could possibly bring them joy? They hear about Jerusalem and their response is, it's a joy that we can take part in the collection of sending some money to our brothers and sisters who are struggling in Jerusalem. It's a joy. Not through gritted teeth are they reaching into their pockets for money. They are gladly giving it to these guys. 
That's the first thing I see. I see joy about these Macedonians. The second thing I see is this, that they are generous. Look again in verse 2. It says that it overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Their hearts are so full of the love of Christ and his grace that they think nothing of their poverty in comparison to the people in Jerusalem. It overflows now with generosity. The Spirit has so empowered them and so filled the Macedonians that they are other people focused first. It's not about themselves. They're looking out to see how they can help other people at this time. And the thing about these Macedonians is this. They didn't think of the smallest amount they could possibly give. They were thinking, how could they max out their giving and help their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem? But it actually goes further than that. If you look in verse 3, it says, not only according to their means, but beyond their means. That's not just generous. That's sacrificially generous. It's beyond their means. It's sacrificially generous. I don't know what that does to you when you read that, but I read that and I'm seriously challenged by it. Seriously challenged. They went beyond their means to help their brothers and sisters out in Christ. Now, I don't know how that may have looked for them. I'm trying to think, how could they possibly, when they're in extreme poverty, how could they go beyond their means? Did they possibly find something that they could have sold to free up some more finances so they could actually give to their brother? I don't know. I'm just trying to fathom that in my head, that they went beyond their means and found extra to give. This is what the gospel does. It transforms our hearts. It changes the way we think. And as it gains more and more traction in our lives, the gospel produces generosity. Third thing I saw here about these guys is I was just observing these verses. The Macedonians gave freely, not from compulsion. Look in verses 3 and 4. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. They gave of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part. They weren't pushed into this giving by guilt or manipulation. Paul wasn't holding a gun to their head to say, please give or else. Paul didn't go begging to them. If you read that, they says they begged Paul, can we please give? That seriously challenges me. Sometimes when you hear about appeals going on, you think, oh, I hope they don't come and see me. It's a bit like that sometimes. They're begging Paul, we want to take part, Paul. We want to be in this. Count us in. They pleaded with Paul of their own free will. Please, we want to help. This is what the gospel does. It transforms our hearts. As it takes deep root within us, it it breeds new desires in us. I want to do this. I want to freely participate. I want to help out. This is what I see happening in me through Christ. I want to take part in this now. Three really clear markers here I see about the Macedonians as they they saw this um, generosity, as they saw this opportunity to Uh, minister to the people in Jerusalem. It was joyfulness, it was generosity, and it was freely, freely. So what drove these guys? 
what drove these Macedonians to have such a radical outlook here? Because if the world looked on and saw them in their dirt poor situation and they were generously giving beyond their means, the world would say, you guys are crazy. You are real. What are you doing this for? What's the motivation that would drive you to, to give like this? We see it in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the foundation of the Macedonian giving. It's Jesus Christ. It's the transforming work of the gospel. The Son of God, who has eternally existed in the glory of the Godhead, Rich in glory is the eternal Son of God. For our sake, he lay aside his eternal glory, put it down as it were, and took upon himself the humility and the poorness of a human body. Steps away from glory as it were, lays that aside, and takes upon himself the humility and the poorness of a human body. The Son of God becomes one of us. He becomes Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And what's he do? He becomes poor so that we can become rich. Rich in eternal life, rich in eternal spiritual blessings, and rich in a relationship with him. Rich that we can receive a heart that is absolutely transformed from selfishness and self-centeredness to now God-glorifying and deep generosity. That's the transformation that Christ brings. And it's all a picture of grace. Look at how Paul talks about it here in verse 1. He says right off the cuff, right at the top, he says, we want you to know, brothers, he's talking to Corinthians, about the grace of God, the favour of God, the goodness of God that has been given, freely given among the Macedonian people. Doesn't that light your heart up when you see the freeness, the richness of God, the grace of God that plants that into their hearts? Doesn't that stir your love and your affection for such a glorious God who reaches out to us like that? A glorious, generous God sacrifices his son so that we can be rich in grace. See, this is the foundation here of the giving of the Macedonians in their extreme poverty and severe affliction. They captured a vision of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial generosity at the cross. And they responded with, what can we do to show our thankfulness for this inexpressible gift that we've received? What can we do? How can we help? We know what's been done for us. The very least we can do, the Macedonians are saying, the very least that we can do is, is give some of our money so that others can experience this same grace and this same generosity that Christ has shown us. That's the least we can do. Generous giving becomes an act of worship to a generous God for all that he has done for us. It springs from that foundation. As we think about generous giving today, how does that sit with you as you sit here? As you think about the Macedonians, as you think about Paul encouraging here uh, the Corinthians. As I said at the start, I think, in a very real sense, how we deal with our money is an indication of how deep the gospel has really gone into our own heart. It really is. Look what Paul says here in verse 8 to the uh, Corinthians. He says this, 
I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Paul's saying this. Corinth, use the Macedonians as a comparison here to see if your love for Jesus is as genuine as theirs. Think about what the Macedonians have done, Corinth, and see the generosity they've done from such extreme circumstances and just have a look at your love and see if it's as genuine as theirs. He's not saying compare gifts because Macedonian gifts probably were very small from being a poor church. The Corinthian church was quite a rich church. He's not comparing size of gift. He's actually saying, look at your heart. Look at your heart. See how genuine your love really is. In other words, is joy, generosity and freeness from Christ, is that how you use your money, Corinth? Paul is saying. You see, if we are stingy, if we are only giving under compulsion and not real happy about giving, then quite possibly the gospel hasn't gone that deep into your heart. That's what Paul's saying here. Let me throw up some questions here about generous giving. With what attitude should I give? I guess it's pretty clear where we've just been for the last few verses. What attitude should I give? It says there we should give uh, joyfully, cheerfully and freely. Look in verse... uh, Chapter 9, verse 7, it says this, Each one must give as his heart has, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Let me say this. I don't want you to give to Exchange Church if you can't do it cheerfully and freely. I really don't want you to give. And I mean that seriously. Don't give. If, if, you, if you can't do it cheerfully... And if you can't do it freely, don't give. Don't give. Now, I don't want you to stay like that. You knew I was going to say that, didn't you? But I don't want you to stay like that because I want you to experience the joy that it is in giving. I would say this. I'm praying that the gospel will go way deeper into your heart, way deeper into your life, to see Jesus in a whole new generous light so that you will cheerfully give to God, trusting in him, to experience the same joy that the Macedonians experienced as they allowed the gospel to go deeper and they saw more of Christ. Where should I give my money? It's a good question really, isn't it? Because today there's a million good causes out there. You've only got to do a Google search for whatever cause you want. And there's a million of them out there, and many of them are Christian and great causes. So where should I give? Where do I give my money? What do I do with that? How do I bless? Okay, let me ask you this. Uh, Where is the face-to-face church family that you are connected with? Not virtual church, not online church, not podcast church. Where is the face-to-face church family that you are connected with? Who is the community that is walking the journey of the gospel with you? Where is the body of people, spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ, that is encouraging you, building you up, praying with you and supporting you and your family? Who is that? Let me give you the answer to that question of where to give your money. 
It's your local church. It's the local body that you are committed to and connected with. It's the body that God has placed you in. It's not virtual church. It's not online church. It's face-to-face church. It's the leadership and the body of people that are lovingly committed to Christ and to you to help you grow as a strong disciple in Christ. That's the place where you give your finances for the kingdom of Christ. Now, I'm going to throw you two scriptures here and I want you to go home and read them and if you've got any questions about it, come back and uh, in contact with me, but I'll just give them to you now, which backs this up. 1 Corinthians 9, 1 to 12, and 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18. You can write them down. 1 Corinthians 9, 1 to 12, and 1 Timothy 5, 7 and 8, 17 and 18. That'll show you there about looking after your local church first. Does this stop you giving from anywhere else? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's lots of good causes you can get there. But your first giving, your first giving lies with your local church, your local body, where you are committed to and connected to. And then elsewhere, if you want beyond that, you go for your life. With whatever God has blessed you with and you're able to do more, go for it, go for it. Another question, how much money should I give? Some of you have been waiting for this question all service or all talk. How much should I give? What does God's word say about how much I should give? I'll give it to you in a word, what God tells us out of the scriptures and how much to give. It's this, he says, generously. Generously. God says give generously. In case you missed it, God says give generously. This is what the Spirit is teaching us here through chapters 8 and 9. There's nowhere in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit gives us a dollar figure of how much we should give. Because that really wouldn't be applicable. What does a dollar mean back then in comparison to now? What does a dollar mean here versus maybe someone in the middle of Africa when they are really struggling for money? It doesn't give us a dollar figure, and that's totally okay. But you still might be saying, oh, Todd, can you give me a bit more help? Can you sort of give me maybe an indication or maybe a bit of a guide on what this might look like here? I'll just pretend you did ask that, okay? Here's what I do. Here's how I've lived my life. I look at my income and I say this. It's 100% come from God. Anything I have in my wallet or my bank account or wherever, it's 100% come from God. God gives me the ability to work and to generate an income. Without him working in my life, I can do nothing. Actually, I can't even breathe without God. So anything I've received all comes from God. It's all his, but he generously shares it with me. He generously shares it with me. For myself then, I see this word called tithe in the Old Testament. I see this word there called tithe. What that means is a tenth or 10%. Now, it's not a New Testament principle here, so please hear me clearly. It's not a New Testament principle. It's an Old Testament uh, guide, but I use it myself, myself personally, as a baseline number for giving to the church, for giving for the work of the kingdom. It's a guide that I take for myself. So what do I do? I take 10% of my weekly income that God has uh, given to me and I generously give that back to the church for the expansion of the gospel. 
I've done that all my life. Whatever income I get, whatever it might be, straight away I take out 10% and as a minimum I send it to the church as a minimum. I've done that all my life and actually we've taught our kids to do the same thing. Uh, when they were about five and six years old, they were selling apricots on the side of the road through the summer holidays. And we taught them, you take 10% out and you go back and you give that to Jesus as an act of worship and gratitude for what he's done for you. They got their first job at Macca's. They've all got jobs at Macca's. And they take 10% out and they give that back to the church, back to the work of the gospel. We've taught our kids to do that and that's how we've lived our lives ourselves. That's my personal reflection on how I do that. I set that money aside and to make it really simple and a, a good habit and discipline, I actually direct transfer it monthly, weekly, whatever. It's really simple, but it actually provides a great habit. I know what my income is. 10% comes out, and I put that in. It's a picture there of how I would think generosity would look, the way God has blessed me so abundantly. How's the money used here at Exchange? Sometimes people ask that. Every dollar we receive here at Exchange Church It's all directed at and invested in growing disciples of Jesus Christ. Every single thing we do here at Exchange is for that purpose. To uh, connect people to Jesus, to grow people in Christ, to make disciples for the glory of God. So when we rent a building, like here, we do this to help grow disciples. When we purchase Bible study resources, we do that to help grow disciples. When we purchase kids' resources, it's designed to make disciples. When we pour cups of tea and coffee after the service and put on meals, it's all part of making disciples. You might think, how's that related? It's actually providing a place and a good atmosphere and a good place to actually connect, and coffee can help do that to help grow disciples. When we send money to missionaries, Ben and Megan, it's to help grow disciples. Every single thing we do here at Exchange is invested to make disciples of Jesus Christ. There's another part in this uh, passage as well that talks about integrity of money, and I can tell you now, uh, Doug's not with us, but if you have any questions about our finances whatsoever, uh, Doug will be more than happy to take you through our books. So we, we want to do everything totally above board and with full integrity because we are totally answerable to God what we do. So if you want to see Doug about that, he will be more than happy to take you through the books and show you what, where our money goes here at Exchange. Now, Currently at Exchange Church, we estimate that our giving is at about 5% of income. About 5% of income. We praise God for that. We really do praise God for that. And like any church, we understand that there are some people who are regularly giving 10% or more of their income for the gospel. We get that. There are some people who are regularly giving less than 10% of their income for the gospel. Thank you. And there are some people who aren't giving anything at all to the gospel quite probably in this church as well. Possibly could have been coming for years as well. We, we, we understand that. So we're asking today that we would see the gospel go a little bit deeper into our hearts. A little bit deeper into our hearts. That we could increase our generosity just like the Macedonians. Could we increase our giving by 1%? By 1% of our income? For some... That may mean going from 6% to 7%. Others from 10% to 11%. For some, this may mean for the first time you're ever going to consider giving on a regular basis here at Exchange. If you're married today, I would suggest do this. 
Go home, talk to your spouse, husband or wife, talk about your giving. Talk about here what the Macedonians were doing. Talk about how the Holy Spirit's working through that. Talk about how it's really an act of our worship and it's a place where we actually are showing people what we trust in. That we can trust in a generous God to meet our needs. And we want to partake in the giving of generously for the glory of God as an act of worship for what Christ has done that. Go home. If, if it's for the very first time that you're going to consider giving, spend that time talking with your husband or wife and see what you can do. Pray about it. That the Spirit will work in your heart to show you the generosity that Christ has shown us. Why do we say that? We say that because of this. We believe here at Exchange Church there's a massive mission ahead of us here in the Greatest Shepherd and the Goulburn